Welcome to Waiting For You, the podcast where we talk infertility, hope, loss and courage. I'm Janine, mum of one, a newborn and family photographer and lover of dark chocolate. Here we will share stories of families who have faced a different or difficult journey through conception, pregnancy or postpartum. I want to honour these stories and have them be heard and I want to bring it all, the tears, the hope, the despair and the joy. Today I am chatting with Anna, who shares with us the fertility struggles she and her husband faced and the experience of embryo donation they went through to have their children. We talk through all the emotional, ethical and legal complexities of this. Anna also shares her difficult pregnancies and her traumatic birth of her first child, which led to complex post-traumatic stress disorder and borderline psychosis. Anna also shares her healing birth experience with her second daughter and also the health issues that her second daughter faces. This is such a beautiful episode and I'm so happy to bring it to you. Here's Anna's story. Hey Anna, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. (laughs) Do you want to start Anna by telling us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah, so um, in my family, I've got my husband, Kyle, and I've got an almost four-year-old, Tasia, and a 13-month-old, Asia. Gorgeous. Yeah. And what do you love doing as a family? Um, It's an interesting one. We actually just started a veggie garden, so I think we're turning into sort of an outdoors family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we just like to sort of go on adventures, jump in the car, see what we can find, um, go for walks, that type of thing. Yeah, nice. So nice. Okay, so today you're going to share with us your journey to having your two beautiful girls. Do you want to start by sharing um, the fertility issues that you and Kyle faced and what that kind of meant for the two of you? Yeah, so um, we've been married 12, 13 years now, so mm-hmm. it was a little while ago. But, yeah, we first, you know, get married and you think it's going to be just the natural process of, yeah. oh, get married, have kids. You know, I mm-hmm. never sort of thought anything about it. And then about a year and a half, two years into the marriage, um, we were like, oh, this is interesting. We're not getting pregnant. And mm-hmm. our friends seemed to fall pregnant quite easily. And so we were... Um, yeah, kind of maybe we should get this investigated and went to the doctor just for the routine test, just, hey, get us tested and didn't think anything of it um, until the doctor called us and said, "Um, can you please come in? Um, I need to talk to you about your results. And that was kind of the first, oh, there's something maybe going on. Um, And basically he just, we sat down and he was very, as doctors are, very sort of, abrupt in a way um, Mm -hmm. and just sort of said okay so looks like Kyle um, you've got no sperm and that was that was a shock obviously because you don't think something like that would come up you know there was nothing to indicate that Mm -hmm. there would be anything wrong Um, but this was just a nope it looks like there's nothing there so we need to do some more investigative procedures I guess to kind of see what's going on Mm -hmm. and yeah so that kind of started us on a journey where we went straight to fertility associates in Hamilton Mm -hmm. and did you know it takes a few months obviously to go through everything but it ended up after a couple of different tests and procedures that basically um, he had what's called sperm maturation arrest. So basically there is a little bit of sperm there way back up somewhere, but it hits a certain point and it just stops developing basically. So, so basically they said, look, it's just, you know, bad luck in a way um, that basically it stopped just before it was compact enough to be used for IVF so yeah so it's kind of weird so it's like everything's there but for some reason they just go no no thank you and don't sort of compact down which was very interesting I find all that stuff really interesting (laughs) but it wasn't sort of what you want to hear so no yeah so basically the doctor just said to us your only option is sperm donation should I put you on the list and Mm -hmm. it was very kind of oh Oh, okay. Um, 
mm-hmm. there nothing you can do? Is and they were like, no, this is your only option. And we were obviously in a bit of shock still, and so mm-hmm. we said, no, thank you. We need time to think about it, mm-hmm. and kind of just took, you know, took some time. Um, How was Kyle feeling at this point? Well, for him. Obviously, being a male, you want to provide. Mm-hmm. However, you know, you feel you need to provide. You provide a family, you prov- you know, all of that stuff. And so for him, he just felt like he had let me down mm-hmm. and, you know, everything was his fault. And yeah. it was, he was in shock as well because his dream had been, you know, to be a dad, like that's his thing. Yeah. And, yeah, it just, it threw him a lot. Yeah, a bit. I was more, okay, cool, well, then we'll get a baby this way. Like, I was very much, I just want a baby, so yeah. we'll, we'll do sperm donation. It doesn't matter, like, just deal with it kind of thing. So it was obviously started off to be a bit of a journey of push and pull, I guess, in terms of what I wanted versus what he felt comfortable with, and we spent a long time discussing what it meant to go that way that way Mm. and in the end it just caused too much tension and we just decided no that um yeah sorry so so he was he was not comfortable using sperm nature no so for him it was this is going to be another person's child um I won't see myself in this child how do you know I don't know how I'd feel what if I don't connect with them and then I'll always look and see you but yeah. I won't see me. And yeah. so it was this constant, you know, tension for him, which I totally, now I totally get it. At the time, I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I totally understand how he feels because we got to the point in our journey where our next step, we got pregnant, but our next step was going to be egg donation. I felt the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I totally get it. Yeah. It's so interesting. I just, yeah, I guess for me, I was like, but why should it matter? Like that was just yeah. my thinking. But now I'm like, yeah, you know, I can I can see where where he was at. And yeah. so obviously our marriage was more important than mm-hmm. having a child. And so um, I stopped fighting it mm-hmm. basically and we just decided that we were not going to have kids right. and what would we do instead, you know. Um, okay. Yeah, so we gave up on that dream and decided we were going to travel or, you know, just do whatever. But I couldn't let go of it, um, even (laughs) though I said, yeah, no, it's fine, you know. Um, And so I kind of hit a very low point, very downward spiral. And after maybe a year, Kyle basically one day said, look, I think we need to try sperm donation. Um, Um, Yeah, it it was quite because I'd left it obviously it was quite upsetting for me and he could just see that there was stuff going on you were struggling yeah and so he had kind of got to the point that he was like at the end of the day I want to still want to give you what you want and he said if this is my way of providing and it was quite like whoa okay and so yeah so we actually went on the sperm donation list but yeah but I can't remember it was so long ago now I can't remember exactly what happened but I think in that process, I actually decided to leave my job mm-hmm. because I'd been working. We worked for an organisation that worked with kids. And so I every day would go out to schools and um, teach these lessons to kids. And I'd be standing in front of them and I'd be like, yeah, you know, everything's amazing. And then <laughs> I'd go home and I'd just cry. I'd wake up yeah. in the morning and I'd cry and I'd go and I'd see these beautiful kids and I'd be like, I'm never going to have them and yeah. it just was it was just torment for me and yeah. so I actually gave up my job which yeah. um was a shock for people yeah and yeah sorry so that's kind of um where I got while we were on that process and that is where I guess it opened up the next stage of our journey yeah, yeah. can I just ask before we go to the next yes. stage were yes. you when you left that job were you able to say why like were you or did you just leave and yeah no I I definitely like I'm I'm not very good at keeping my emotions in check so Class <laughs> on your every, yeah um, <laughs> everybody everybody knew my you know right. like I I told my um my bosses are amazing and they're um 
beautiful friends of ours now um, mm. and they released me and they said, yeah, we understand. Obviously, we're sad to lose you but we understand yeah. and I told people, yeah, actually quite publicly in a Facebook post that that's why I left. Yeah. Do you want to share about that post with us because that leads on to yeah. the next thing? <laughs> so, yeah, so because I had been in this role that was quite perfect for me, very creative, very expressive, worked with kids, everything I was about, mm. um, when I decided to leave, people were like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Right, yeah, of course. And so instead of having to explain to everybody, um, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to put it up on a Facebook post, nice and public. Everyone can read it and hear the same message, basically. Mm. And so I just put up, um, I'm leaving my job. It's the perfect job. I love it, but um, it's too hard for me. I've been dealing with the heartbreak of us not being able to have children of our own. And because of that, I need to stop working with kids for a while and try and find myself and figure out what this means for me moving forward um and so it was just a basic kind of post and yeah and so from there there was actually a couple that were like mutual friends right um so they weren't my Facebook friends but obviously some one of my friends saw the post and shared it with them or you know how it works yeah yeah, yeah. um and they saw my post and they themselves had been on a big um, fertility journey and had completed their family but had some embryos left over mm-hmm. and they were looking for a family they'd been looking for quite a few years for the right family to donate to really yeah and they they saw it and they were they just were like this could be it like they just knew, they just were like this could be it we need to meet them wow yeah and so they approached um they actually approached my husband first because they probably knew that I would go, yep, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, but they talked to him because obviously if he was comfortable, then then he could, you know, share. And so um, kind of pulled him aside. Um, the, the friend basically um, said, hey, this is, yeah, this is the case. Um, would you be prepared to meet with them and just see where it goes? But obviously if you're comfortable with that. And, um, yeah, so we met with them. Wow. So are these people that you'd ever met before? Yes. So, yeah. so um, they were kind yeah. of so kind yeah. of so knew of them, knew them, knew of their journey actually a little yeah. bit, but not close or anything yeah. like that. So it was kind yeah. of like, oh yeah, we know who they we know who they are. Yeah, right. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Can you tell us what meeting with them was like in the process you and Kyle went through to make that decision and then the big process that happens yeah. beyond that, okay, <laughs> which I'm yep. sure is very big. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we set up a meeting. They didn't live here, so they were they came down to visit. They've got family here, and so they came okay. to see their family. And so meet, we met with them at like that mutual kind of meeting space, mm-hmm. and we it was just one of those. It's one of those days that you're just like, this is surreal. This is like, mm. you you can't explain, unless you've been through it, you can't explain it to anybody. Yeah. And so we walk in and it's like, hi, hi. hi. Like, <laughs> awkward hugs, you know, like kind of just this like, yeah, it was just this really random, com- random kind of thing. And you sit down, yeah. it's like, so, <laughs> you know, it was kind of, I don't even remember how it started, but I honestly, honestly feel like, I said something really like random, like, so can we have your kids? You know, yes. like just a real kind of, I don't know. I don't know what I said, but I remember just yeah. sitting there going, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, no. Oh, no. You've lost it. You know, like, yeah. um, because it felt like an interview. Yeah, I bet. And for them, yeah. it would have been too, because it's this precious, beautiful babies, you know, yeah. potential lives. And, you know, it's it's a big deal for everybody. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. So we just talked, basically, got to know each other a bit more, you know, was like, oh, well, you do that too, just found some similarities. Mm -hmm. And it was quite, it was quite amazing in that we were very similar, like, Hmm. even we look similar, like, that's, that was what was just strange. Yeah. So we looked similar, like Kyle and the donor, um, male, like, were into sport, were creative, were like, it was just crazy. Like we were like, whoa, this is like, this is, yeah, this is like 
miracle territory like you you can't like it's just beyond you know that's funny because it sounds like from their point of view they kind of knew you might be the right family yeah quite quick you know just from seeing that post yeah incredible Mm. so yeah so we connected we chatted and kind of it was just okay what do you they shared their journey we shared ours a bit and just kind Mm -hmm. of okay what's the next step so because for them obviously they had to know that they wanted to go further in this journey because it turns into a legal a legal Mm -hmm. situation after that so basically it was next steps after that of okay let's feel it out and we can stop at any time right and at this point were you and Kyle all all in um or still deciding (sighs) to be honest it was the most peace we'd ever felt in the entire journey really yeah we drove away and we just were like yeah like we were just in agreement we just were like this sits right like even the sperm donation it still just hadn't sat right completely but we were pushing Mm -hmm. whereas this Mm -hmm. was yep this is it it does create a neutral ground for the two of you eh? definitely so then we were in a united front wherever you know moving forward Mm. yeah amazing so then what what did what actually do you have to do legally and all of that so basically it's like um, pre-birth adoption. Yeah, so it it's, comes under that realm. So what you do is you have to apply through ECART, so the Ethics Committee, mm-hmm. um, and they um, say yes or no. So um, to do that process, you had to meet with your lawyers, say this is what we want to do, go to separate counselling, Mm-hmm. to talk it through in terms of, you know, what does this really mean? Like it was intense in terms yeah. of, you know, this is, you will look at this child, it will not look like you. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you, you know, what are you going to, how are you going to process that? Mm-hmm. What does it mean when they hit their teen years and they want to know where they right. come right. from? Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to stay in connection with this family? You know, those type of things. The the donor family have three children. So they any children that we have, they will have be full yeah. biological genetic siblings. Yeah. So that's a huge thing too. So it's talking yeah. through those things. And then if the counsellors feel like, yep, this is, you know, this these guys um you know, seem like they're okay and, and happy to move forward, then you do joint counselling. Okay. Yeah. So that's when you meet with the other couple too and you get asked the hard questions. Like, <laughs> oh, man, I just remember crying and crying and crying and just being like, oh, my goodness, because I wanted to do right by them as well. And yeah, of course. Yeah, it just they asked a question about, they asked a question about what would you do, what would happen if you were pregnant and a life-threatening something happened and you had to choose between yourself and the baby. Gosh. And I was like, why would you ask a question like that? Like, oh, my goodness. You know, and they asked Kyle and they said, what would you do? Wow. And I was just like, don't worry about me. I was like, don't worry about me. Just bring this baby into the world. This is what, you know, this is their child. This is, you know, it was just this, like, I just, like, lost the plot. And they were all like, okay, settle down. This isn't actually going to happen. Like, And I was just like... Oh, I just had this sense of like responsibility of whatever these potential children were going to be, that it was just like a really heavy weight. Mm. Mm. And it was really interesting because the couple said, they said, look, hold on, this is about you and your family. And as horrible as that is, the relationship is Kyle has a relationship with you. He doesn't yet have a relationship Mm -hmm. with that child. And as horrible as that situation would be, he should choose you. Right. And that's, I know that's quite a heavy thing to like talk about, but it was actually really freeing because it was this kind of sense of like, oh, okay, so they are fully releasing the potential of whatever goes on with these. Yeah. Um, future children if that makes sense does that totally. yeah it just sound I, the feeling I got when you're explaining that just sounds like they had your back yeah. Like, yeah yeah and it so was this, yeah. sorry to interrupt was this no, okay. um done through like social workers or through the fertility so it was clinic? through the clinic so it was right. actually okay. through RecProMed in yep. Auckland because that was their clinic so mm-hmm. because the the embryos are legally 
the donors until you have the transfer. Okay. So even though on paper it's like, yes, you have been donated these, and they can change their mind at any time. Right. And so, yeah, until you actually use them in the transfer. And so with that, the, the, their counsellor needed to be the one that did the group um, one because they needed to make sure that they were 100% like, yes, this is what we're about. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then they also worked closely with our counsellor at Fertility Associates and kind of just compared, I guess, wow. compared notes and, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So we have a psychiatrist, yeah, yeah. yeah a psychiatrist. appointment yeah. as well. Yeah. We actually got denied the first time we went to ECART. They said, no we don't think that you're 100% ready. Right. And that was heartbreaking because we were like, yeah, yeah. And then they said no. And we got deferred um, because they felt like um, Kyle needed to process a little bit more um, what it meant to to be connected to a child that wasn't genetically his. Mm-hmm. But it was actually because I did all the talking and he didn't. And it was kind of, I was like, yeah, yeah, he's fine, you know, like. <laughs> um, and so when we went back, I just was very silent and, yeah. um, and let them re, yeah, let them re ask those questions. And so by mm. the end of it, we got approved and that was fine. But it was just that, yeah, initial was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, so that's the legal process. So, yeah, so you basically do this counseling sign with your lawyers, enter into an agreement. Mm-hmm. And the agreement we had was they had three embryos left over and the agreement was that we would take all three okay. because in New Zealand you can't donate, uh, do full embryo donation to more than one other family. Okay. So um, only two families can have genetic, full genetic siblings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if we didn't use it, it would mean they would have to use it and that was not something that they felt was for them so yeah that finished their family yeah yeah amazing so once that all that process was all finished did you did you then go ahead with a transfer yeah so, and then a transfer yeah so because obviously it, we um as a couple we were considered like infertile completely mm-hmm. we got full public funding oh, um which was amazing so um we yeah didn't obviously didn't have to pay for anything which was a true blessing and yeah we I think we waited maybe a couple of months I just wanted to be like as fit and healthy as I could be and you know all of that mentally prepare um because I had had close friends go through this process so many times supporting them through it and Mm -hmm. um I'd seen what it did to them so Mm -hmm. I just needed to make sure I was okay and yeah so we went for it so the first cycle that I did was a medicated cycle. So it got put on all the different things to get your body nice and juicy. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, went in for the transfer and, it, yeah, it took straight away. Wow. So I knew wow. it, like, before before the 10, because you have to wait 10 days for, yeah. the, for the test. Um, and I distinctly remember one day I was going for a walk and I walked past a house <laughs> and I could smell <laughs> mold <laughs> oh, really? and I was like <laughs> I could smell no I could smell like mold and then I was walking I could smell the dirt and everything <laughs> was just heightened like ridiculous I was like I could smell what was happening in every house it was so strange wow. and I just got home and I was like nah this is not nah, yeah. this is it this must be it but I waited I didn't do a test beforehand because mm. I just needed to wait and um mm. yeah and it was actually Mother's Day that we got the call how amazing. It could have gone one of two ways. It yes. was it was when I got the test in the morning, I was very aware that, you know, Mother's Day had always been the worst day of the year for me. Yep. And it ended up being just this amazing, you know, day where they said, congratulations, you're pregnant. And it just, <sighs> everything changed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just amazing. <laughs> So that was amazing. What was mm. your pregnancy like going forward from Not there? amazing. <laughs> Not amazing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> so I had always desired to be pregnant. I do not know why I always wanted that, but I had just something in me. I wanted yep. to know what it felt like. Now, I wish I could go back and say to myself, do not worry about that. 
just, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. You can adopt another way, like but anyway. Um, but no, it was it was just rough. I wasn't sick in terms of um, like a constant nausea the whole time. Like that yeah. was horrible. But um, like it was more that I had like pelvic severe pelvic separation and yeah. um, ligament round ligament pain. I had times that I'd just black out from the pain. Like it was. <sighs> I passed out from it one day, like completely when um, we were just going along in the car and I just like, like flopped over and Kyle was like, what just happened? And it was excruciating. It was worse than, worse than anything I'd felt in labor. It was horrible. So I had that the entire time from from early on. It was kind of from, I think it was like second trimester. Right. It started, yeah, and then by the end of it, I could hardly walk, and I had the grinding in my pelvis and almost was in a wheelchair. You know, like, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. So, um, yeah, I just don't, I don't do that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, except I did enjoy that I suddenly was able to eat anything because I had a whole lot of intolerances, and then I got pregnant, and I could suddenly drink milk. And yeah, it was really weird. Apparently it can happen. So I suddenly could eat all the stuff that in the past I hadn't been able to. So I thoroughly enjoyed that part of pregnancy. That is the one that, you know, I went went for it. Yeah, so it was not, yeah, it was not not enjoyable. Right. And what what about the birth? And the birth was... Bruce was not amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing about it now, but oh my goodness. So I went in to be induced because I didn't, nothing happened. Um, Even though I had constant tightenings from, you know, quite early on as well. Mm. So I was having all the pains and all the signs, but nothing eventuated. So went in to be induced. I think it was like the day I was due. I think it was my due date because they don't really like you to go over with IVF pregnancies and got the gel. And what happened after that was a week long induction process and it was the most horrific thing I've ever been through now I am okay from it but it was very traumatic and that um basically I what we found out in the end was that I didn't my body didn't dilate um for some reason and so even though they were putting the gel in, I was having contractions, but nothing was happening. And so right. they'd go, oh, well, nothing's happening, so you're fine. And so even though I was in excruciating pain, they just kept giving me Panadol. <laughs> uh, so it was one of those kind was, of, there's right. nothing, there's no there's indication. No yeah, there's no dilation. So there's no indication that you actually, anything is happening. And, yeah, so it was it was quite, it was a bit of uh yeah, just a, just a journey, I guess, did to get to feel, that. Did you feel not heard? Yeah, I, I think for me, I because I didn't know what to expect and what it was like, so I was like, oh, well, this must just be what it's like. But I probably could have spoken up a lot more. I think I was just trying to be like, oh, yeah, I'll just do whatever you guys say. Yeah, I trust yeah, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, um, and apparently, like, I was, like, crying and then they'd come in the room and I'd be like, oh, it hurts a little bit, you know, and Kyle was like, just tell them that because I was trying to be brave or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So basically they kept putting the gel and saying, we'll give it another day. Oh, you'll probably end up with a C-section. Oh, but we'll give it another day. Oh. Mm. And so they kind of would, yeah, I don't know. I think they just thought maybe miraculously I'd just open up and she'd pop out. I don't yeah. know. Um, Were you and, in hospital all this time? Yeah. So we went home. They did it for three days we went home for a night or two I think over the weekend but because I'd had gel and I was still having all of the contractions and then went back in again on the Monday Mm. and she came eventually on the Friday morning so it got to the point that they were like okay well you're just gonna have to have a elective um, c-section which I was very scared about I didn't I'd never had an operation I didn't know what that meant I pictured myself you know dying on the table like just you know Mm -hmm. and so I was like determined no 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 she's you know I'm gonna have her so I opted for them to so this is a bit graphic but to manually dilate me so Mm -hmm. basically a doctor 
made me one centimeter right <laughs> and that was very painful I bet. Um, and then she managed to just get the hook in and break my waters okay and so because of that then they could put me on the drip so then on that particular day they were like okay well we'll take you through and we'll put you on the drip and this should work mm. but basically I in the end, I got to five centimetres, but that was from manual, um, right. like, manipulation of them each time coming and, like, basically, yeah, <laughs> doing their thing. Um, and then baby's heart rate started dropping every mm-hmm. contraction, and um, so they had to take me off the drip. But then every time I got taken off the drip, my contraction stopped. So basically mm-hmm. my body wasn't doing it itself. Yeah, it was all, yeah. It was all just, um, yeah, synthetic. Yeah. And so, yeah, so then they, it was getting late at night, and they said, oh, we're about to switch over staff, and it's too hard for us to try and explain what's been happening, so you might as well just go in for surgery right. um, because baby's okay but it could get worse you know quickly so um and then I started to get an infection as well because it had been so long that I'd had stuff going on so um Mm. they were like no we need to get her out so um yeah so went and had an infection and that was again a very interesting thing and that I I hope this is okay being graphic um totally but yeah um just yeah people listening always find this part interesting but I actually felt them cut me Um, so they didn't believe me that I could still feel them when they because what they do is they numb you and then they they use the tongs to kind of uh, just oh, can you feel this? Can you feel this? Yeah. Um, and earlier on in the day, I had a um, oh, I had an epidural in the end because I was in so much pain, but it didn't mm-hmm. work. It only numbed half my body. Mm-hmm. So they did it again, and um, I had had a panic attack as well during that time because I was petrified of needles going in my back. You know, it's not really something you like yeah let's do it yeah Um, (laughs) but I was like please you know so I'd been already had like a bit of a a panicky thing happening Mm -hmm. and um so the epidural hadn't worked so when they put the spinal in they were like oh well this should work but it didn't um and I kept feeling it on this one particular patch and in the end I just said I'll just do it just do it I don't care and Kyle's like no (laughs) stop because I was like just get her out so I felt them do the initial couple of cuts and then I went numb. And so hopefully that was my body being in shock or otherwise it was the drugs finally kicked in. I don't know what. Yeah. But then I had a massive panic attack on the table um, and started shaking, like hugely shaking. And I couldn't stop shaking and they were yelling at me, stop moving, stop moving. Really? Yeah. And... And, you know, stop. No, they said stop laughing because they thought I was laughing. But I was actually, and Kyle was like, no, she's actually crying. She's like freaking out. And so they were like, stop it, stop it. You've got to stop moving. And it was just this real, like, surreal, very, very strange experience. And then they started yelling, push, push, push. And I was like, what the, what? (laughs) You don't push? Like, what are you talking about? It was to get me to focus. And Uh so they were like, okay, Anna, you can push. Imagine you're doing like a crunch. You can help push her out. And that was quite interesting as well. I never knew you could do that. So I kind of focused, did a crunch, and then they like pulled her out. So it was, I think it was to help me be still, (laughs) Um, Mm. but also to help me have obviously like an engagement with what the process was. What was happening, Um, Yeah, so anyway, that was that was wow. the that was the birth. <laughs> well, can, is panic attack something that you've had had before that point? No, no, wow. I hadn't. I I had some so frightening, some anxiety and different stuff that I've dealt with yep. in my life, but I'd never had a full on like anything like that. Like it was just next level. Yeah, yeah, and then after that I actually had a reaction to the drugs that they gave me and um, had another huge basically like I don't remember anything for the next little while um, in terms of I just started feeling like I was on fire and vomited everywhere and it was like one of those kind of um, reactions yeah and yeah like stopped talking couldn't move felt like I was falling into blackness like it was a very full-on experience um and because they asked Kyle like 
has she ever done anything like this before? Does she got and he'd said to them, oh, when she was a teenager, she did some drugs or something. <laughs> and so they thought that I was just being like over dramatic and all this. And so they, yeah, it was a very, I don't know. I don't know it was looking back, they were doing what they thought was right, but um, probably wasn't the best way to handle to handle it but um so Kyle got left basically walking up and down the hallway with this newborn sucking on its thing on his finger (laughs) not knowing what was happening to his wife screaming in the in the thing being like I'm on fire I'm on fire (laughs) rolling around the bed naked like it was probably (laughs) a strange experience for him too Um, (laughs) he was like oh my goodness we went through all of this and now I'm gonna be left with this baby you know, like, yeah, it was quite traumatic for him, I think, as well. Yeah. Obviously, well, I was, not I think, I know it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, sorry, that was a bit of a segue. But it was a full-on experience for her to actually be there. <laughs> to come into the world. To come into yeah. the world. Yeah. Yes. So what was, it, uh, what was it like taking her home, like, after you'd recovered from all of that? <sighs> it was, you know, all the trauma aside, it was just like it was always meant to be. Like it was yeah. just she was <laughs> she was always meant to be in our family. She was always meant to be mine and ours. And doesn't matter how she got here, that was, you know, yeah. her, her place was with us. Yeah. And it was so surreal but so normal at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like it was, yeah, it was just like, yep, cool. This is this is what was always meant to be yeah amazing Um, yeah really really beautiful yeah Mm. and did you have an agreement with the donor family about keeping in touch or not or yeah so we threw out the pregnancy as well like I always kept them um, posted with what was happening where we Mm -hmm. were at um yes we got pregnant you know like just and they've always just like celebrated with us and and we've also been respectful of um, how it would feel for them as well because it must mm. be quite strange mm. to, to you know, as much as you want it, to also suddenly see your genetics. Mm. Yeah. So we kept in contact. They met Tasia when she was three months old because they wanted to give us a little bit of time and also mm. give themselves time to... Yeah. I guess, yeah, come to terms with it. Mm. Um, it's a yeah, huge thing, isn't yeah, it? yeah. So we've always we always have stayed in contact. We um, see each other maybe three times a year. Um, nice. Yeah, and um, you know, catch up on FaceTime and things like that. So we, yeah. you know, we remain um, fairly close. Um, and That's you know, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, did you um, want to share? Also, was there some things about your postnatal experience with Tasia you wanted to share? Yeah, so that wasn't amazing either. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, but all the all the beautiful uh, beautiful things, are, you know, always come with a lot of a lot of pain. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. I've discovered anyway. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so I ended up having because of the side effects of the drugs um I was hearing voices um and seeing things and um didn't sleep and you know all of that stuff so it was you know full on um and so I was bordering on psychosis my midwife was incredible and she would check on me every single day and she was honest with me too she said look I'm worried about this you know if you Mm -hmm. can't get this together we need to admit you take you back to hospital you know but she also had worked with a lot of um, women over the years with all those kind of things and so she was able to pull me back basically so yeah so I struggled with I struggled for the first wee while with that type of thing but eventually that settled and I, I felt a little bit more normality. Mm-hmm. Never felt like disconnected from Tasia or anything. It was more just I would, you know, be very jumpy and very kind of I'd hear, I'd, I'd kept thinking I heard the beeping of the hospital, you know, yeah. how you always hear stuff from hospital. And when you're in hospital for a week, so obviously in my subconscious it was still there. I'd be jerk myself awake at night, like really, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I'm no expert, but it all sounds a bit 
also sounds a bit post-traumatic stress, doesn't it? Yeah. So I actually, I can't remember how long. It might have been six months after she was born. I actually started having, like, uh, flashbacks and, well, I I know they're flashbacks now, but, like, vision, you know, stuff jumped in my head. Um, Weird dreams, started feeling very, like, on edge all the time. Um, And so I actually contacted a counsellor and said, look, I think I need to talk through some stuff I don't know you know um and I actually on that journey got diagnosed with PTSD with complex PTSD so basically the birth had the trauma of the birth had brought up stuff from my childhood and so it had kind of a traumatic experience can somehow unlock other traumatic Mm. experiences Mm. in your brain and so I got diagnosed with that and went through quite extensive counselling to um, give myself tools um, on how to deal with it. Yeah, so it was quite quite an interesting journey. So for Tasia, she, you know, the first year of her life would have been quite an interesting thing because I was so, like, anxious and jumpy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So she's got an amazing bond with Kyle, which is really cool. I think that's awesome. So he he kind of had to step up um, mm-hmm. or step into, not step up, step into that role of being like key. Um, her, her key person. Yeah, yeah, yeah and still yeah. is, I think, um, which I think is quite beautiful yeah. to have that mm-hmm. bond with him. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, so I got, got diagnosed with that, which made me more aware of, my triggers or tendencies moving forward. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. You went through a lot. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Just yeah. just the whole not being able to get have a baby yeah. in the beginning is enough, right? But yeah. It's a whole lot more. Gosh. But you decided to have another one. <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't know why. No, no I do know why. <laughs> um, yeah. Was that a hard decision given the, all that trauma? It was, it was hard because I know what Kyle went through, seeing me go through that, yeah. thinking, okay, my wife is never going to be the same again. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, like, what does this mean? Like, um, and I was aware that I very well could have similar, yeah, like things but happen. Yeah. yeah. I also was obviously needed to process the birth because to go through that again, I was, you know, petrified. Um, So what I did before we decided to give it another go was I just made sure that in terms of my um, going to therapy and stuff that I had tools to help myself um, get through things. Right. But we also had agreed that we would give all three embryos ago and that was something that we still felt strongly and so we kind of couldn't yeah couldn't give that up um yeah Yeah. the donor family were amazing in that they said look at any time if you do feel like no it's not you know you don't want to carry on you've been through a lot you know we are totally like we understand that um and so they were like put no pressure and stuff either so that was that was really nice but um yeah so we decided to give give it a go again yeah. and initially my hormones were really out of whack and mm-hmm. so um I went on the medication again but I also had my natural cycle it didn't suppress it for some reason so when they did the test they were like you've got two cycles running you've got the hormones the like that we're giving you but you've also got your natural one and which explained why I was so you know <laughs> emotionally charged all the time yeah and so that was really disappointing because it was like we got to that point, okay, we've got it booked in, we're going to do this. Oh, um, no, you know. It didn't, yeah. It didn't, we didn't get to that opportunity. And it happened like three times, I think, before. Oh. Just for some reason my body just was like not cooperating. Yeah. And so in the end they decided this, they said, look, we've tried, it's not working, so we'll just try a natural cycle, which was very scary because basically you've got no extra support you've just got to let your body do its thing right and um but they said because your your cycle is so strong we think that actually it might Mm. work Mm. so yeah so it was very different obviously the uh preparation 
was very different because I did nothing except take blood tests all the mm. time. And then, yeah, we went in to get that one. And, yeah, and that worked as well, which is Yay. incredible. Yeah. Because the three embryos that we were donated were out of a cycle of four embryos. So the one of the siblings that was the first one from that cycle and mm-hmm. it took. And so then when they went back to use the other one, and they actually got naturally pregnant, which was right. a miracle. So yeah. then they couldn't use the other ones. And then um, so for the for two for two to take, they at the fertility associates they said don't expect the other two to work because you know two out of two is is a pretty good thing. And then the, yeah. the next one worked, and they were just like, whoa, okay, that's pretty crazy. Wow. So um, yeah, so that one took as well, but. Because I know you're probably going to ask me, how was that pregnancy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was not amazing either, but for different reasons. So I <laughs> I ended up having a, a hematoma um, and so a big bleed at 10 weeks, um, mm-hmm. woke up bleeding. And from 10 to 20 weeks, I didn't stop bleeding um, and was basically told that it was a 50-50 chance whether the baby would survive. Mm. So I was on pelvic rest for the entire rest of the pregnancy, basically, so I couldn't sort of do much. But every time we went in, baby was happy, right? you (laughs) know, and it was just like, you know, and it was in lockdown as well, so it was that kind of like weird time where mm-hmm. no one was around and I had to go to the, the scans by myself and yep. it was all kind of, you know, very strange. And so I basically stayed at home, but that was when everybody else was at home too. So Kyle was able to look after Tasia. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah so cause that was hard. So she was 18 months. Yeah. I couldn't so lift her, couldn't lift her, couldn't, you know, bend down, couldn't do anything because I'd just start bleeding. Mm. Um, so it was a very very strange time, very stressful for everybody because we always didn't know what was going to happen. But I stopped bleeding at 20 weeks. They On the scan, they couldn't see it anymore, which was amazing. But it had been behind the placenta, so they um, said that it was because the bleeding is kind of like sandpaper on the placenta, and so it can um, could like rupture or whatever. Um, um, the placenta. Yeah, so I had constant tightenings and had an irritable got left with an irritable uterus right so yes so basically every time I walked basically down the hallway I'd contract so I had to be very calm and peaceful Mm. all the time um and for somebody who loves vacuuming it was actually really hard not to like clean the house for (laughs) a whole like 30 weeks it was so hard but anyway (laughs) seriously every time I vacuum I'm just like yes this is amazing it's it's so weird the things that you miss um so yeah so so that was that was not great but um it sounds stressful it was very stressful and then my waters actually broke at 35 weeks so very premature well not very prematurely but prematurely and but because my body doesn't actually go into labor properly nothing happened which everyone was amazed at and she actually stayed in until 37 weeks wow um when they we booked us we booked a Mm c-section um for that date because they didn't really want me to go much further than Mm. two weeks Um, please tell me that one went better oh it was beautiful was it it was the most healing experience i was i was determined i was going to have a vaginal birth I'd Mm -hmm. gone through a whole lot of meditation stuff like preparation in my head you know but when the because my waters broke they couldn't do the induction because of the risk of um infection and stuff and so basically when that happened I I was like oh well can you put me on the drip you know let's just try it um but the day of that we went in they um decided we just decided no we'll we'll do that do the section um and what the way that it worked out was that the anesthetist I'm terrible I don't know if that's how you say it but yes. anyway yeah yeah um she came and met with me and we just had a really in-depth conversation about my fears what happened last time what I was scared of and she said look 
this is what we'll do. She's like, I'm going to give you the spinal, but I'm going to give it further up. So I'm going to give it right up to your armpits instead of just the bottom of your rib cage mm-hmm. like we normally do. So we'll make sure. She said, I'll tell everybody. She said, I'm the boss in there. If no one does anything without my say, so I'm going to tell everyone to wait an extra 15 minutes before we actually do anything. Oh, she sounds um, She was so incredible. And then she said, and when you're coming in, if you actually start having a panic attack, I'll have a sedative right there for you. So you just give me the nod and I'll chuck it in. And she said, and if it all goes to custard, if you really, really, really want the general, we can do that. Because I said, look, can you just put me under because I don't want to experience yeah. it. Yeah. But she was like, well, give it a try because it could be really healing and it actually was like she held my hand like it was really it was quite a wonderful experience and I didn't freak out I you know it was just it was just so different it was just like Mm. oh this is what it should be like you know Mm. Um, not only did it work properly Mm. but you were I imagine that you would have felt so much more cared for than the first time when it sounded like they didn't really believe you yeah so what a different experience it was your care it was wonderful it was so and I healed faster I recovered mm. faster I didn't have any like they knew do not give her this particular drug yeah. you know and yeah it was it was just so different like I was like I felt like myself wow how yeah. amazing yeah I love stories of um healing birth stories yeah yeah, was, yeah so yeah so that was really cool um that's amazing yeah and postpartum, I know your little girl, uh, Aisha's got yeah. some health struggles. Some yeah, so, so she became severely jaundiced and it wasn't picked up properly till day eight, which is quite a long time for mm. her to, to be that way. Mm. And so we actually, with her, we ended up in hospital over the period of a couple of weeks in and out, you know, a few times and stuff. Um, but all up was probably in there maybe two weeks for being treated under the lights and stuff for jaundice. And she seemed fine, like in terms of they said, no, you know, she, she won't have brain damage, but it was very high. The levels were very high and we don't know how long it was for and stuff like mm. that. So it was mm. quite worrying. But she seemed to kind of come right. Her levels went, started going down and then they ended up just being like, oh, you know, it's going to keep going down, just just keep an eye on it. But she stayed yellow for like three months. Wow. Yeah, so what we kind of came to the conclusion was was that it was actually breast milk-induced jaundice, which oh. can happen if you have a different blood type. So, yeah, which I didn't know. So another thing that you learned. So I'm I'm blood type O and she's blood type A. Mm. And what can happen is your antibodies can attack the antibodies in their body through your breast milk. So it's all a bit random. Wow. But I was so determined to breastfeed because I had a struggle the first time with Tasia, even though I did, I had to pump with her, but um, I was determined to breastfeed Aisha. And so they said it wouldn't do her harm. It just made her skin yellow. So I was like, okay, well, you know, um, now I don't know. Like, did it do damage? Mm-hmm. We will never really find out. Um, mm-hmm. But she seemed fine until about three months. And then um, she started having what we thought were mild seizures and mm-hmm. constantly shaking, kind of head nodding, mm-hmm. zoning out. Um, she ju- she rolled a couple of times and then she just stopped. Like no progress, nothing. Right. Didn't do anything else. Wasn't doing anything. Her little mates were doing. Yeah, definitely had some stuff going on. And we got admitted to hospital for some heart stuff that was going on that the doctor picked up for her. And it just was re- it was just weird. Just some weird test results. Um, liver was all deranged. Um, mm. You know very low um so she was very anemic so very low iron mm-hmm. um just some other random stuff with her thyroid just yeah but nothing made sense there was no explanation right no no yeah, yeah yeah there was no this is what it is they basically said it could be one of five things we don't know which of the five things it is it's not going to be all of them so all we can do is wait and see it was just a wait right. and see which was so hard um yeah. So we got amazing support, though, that once you're in the system, it is incredible. It's just getting in. That is, that is hard. But we were under child development services, um, had home visits from the nurses, 
different tests and you know like she went through so many things like you know putting her in the little what's that machine you know they check your brain the, oh, the MRI MRI machine you know this tiny little baby and I'm oh. like putting her in this machine and she just fell asleep it was like oh okay <laughs> didn't even freak out about it I'm like crying and she's like oh this is great um but everything like that came back normal so they thought mm. epilepsy or uh, you know something had not formed in her brain or whatever but there was no reason for anything to be wow. happening so they just said oh it might just be something random that happened and we'll never know <laughs> right <laughs> I was like, okay cool so but what they did do was put um, us in touch with um, like physical therapists and stuff and so we had visits that helped us do little exercises with her to help her progress so she eventually yeah she eventually started uh you know rolling and then crawling and then just recently just started walking which is amazing still has some stuff going on in terms of her physical development she's behind Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like she's going to be grossly behind just a little bit so yeah um got on iron she was on iron until she was just before one and that seemed to help but basically they don't know what Mm. it was she just had random shakes random Mm. stuff happen food issues but they don't know why and they yeah so we don't know um it's only going to be moving forward that we know if anything else will come up yeah she's definitely a a, what they call sensory baby Mm -hmm. um so you know being looked at for you know being on the autism spectrum but okay. it doesn't really appear until they're a bit you know it'll get diagnosed till they're older so mm. yeah so she's you just, mean by yeah. sensory baby do you mean she's um senses are heightened yes so she's a sensory seeking baby in terms of you know she wants to be thrown around and you know oh, go in the swing okay. and so um and being held very tightly like yeah it's very it's very interesting we all have a we all have a sensory tank and some some kids they need more than others and so for her she needs things to taste strong to be loud to to be rolling around she likes to jump you know she doesn't jump here but she throws herself off things you know so yeah yeah I find that so interesting because the experience I've had with kids in my teaching career and Mm. other children I know around sensory stuff is the opposite where it's kind of too much yes yeah she's she's a seeker that's Um, fascinating yeah which is interesting because for me I'm probably the opposite and that I like silence Whereas she was not doing very well or or like she was behaving strangely and the therapist was like, how, you know, what do you do when it's just you and her? And I'm like, oh, we just hang out quietly. And she was like, she needs music. She needs toys to bang on. She needs to hit things, you know, and I did that. Completely different kid. Wow. Yeah. So I'm learning. So it's a a very interesting, um, yeah, relationship. It's, I think, I feel it's going to be a a challenge, (laughs) But, um, but it's good. It'll be a good good learning thing for me and having the understanding of what she yeah. needs is such a big yeah. thing eh, to unlock and understand yeah. that part of her yeah. yeah I feel that it's important to share what the girls names mean oh please do um because with Asia oh, I'll start with Tasia and then I'll share Asia's but um so Tasia we believe in the meaning of names that they're very important and they kind of capture people's story right. um and so Tasia means resurrection and um, her middle name is Belle so Tasia Belle together means beautiful resurrection Mm. and for us that was like Mm. significant in terms of the resurrection of hope in our journey of you know thinking that we'd never (laughs) never get here and it you know happening Um, and so then for Aisha we obviously felt the the pressure that we had to actually have you know can't waste all the importance on the first kid so we were like oh okay we need something really interesting and powerful and oh and we just couldn't think of one it was just like oh my goodness like there was all the cool names that I had left over from Tasia but then we're like well we don't want to give her second best you know yeah um and then Kyle woke up in the night and he just had this name Aisha in his head and he was like what's that and he looked it up and it meant alive and well and that was when we'd just gone through just starting to have the bleeding and he was like 
what do you think of this name? And he, and so basically she had her name very early on that we were mm-hmm. like, no, she is alive and well. And we just kept speaking that over her. Um, Beautiful. And then her middle name is Tilly, which means glorious in battle. And so we had this thing of alive and well, glorious in battle. And then with all her health journey and stuff, we were like, no, she is fighting. She is going to be glorious and she is alive yeah. and well, even if we don't see it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so I guess all of that to say, like in, in terms of the journey with Asia, we still have always felt like she is going to be okay. You know, even though we don't know what the future brings for what may come up, but we know that she is alive and well and she is going to battle through. So yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's oh, just, thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Okay. I'm going to go into mm. these last three yes. questions. I think this first one, you've got a few things to share. Mm. Um, It is, what did you learn about yourself through this process? (laughs) Many things. (laughs) I think the biggest thing is realising that I always wanted to be a mum, but I hadn't really thought through how it would grow me and teach me like I just thought okay I'm an adult so I'm complete and Mm. whatever you know whoever I am I just hand down to my children or whatever um but I've actually realized that actually it's way more triggering than I thought (laughs) because you're faced with yourself so much you're like well your child does something and you're just like your child self responds to them and then you're like what what where did that come from you know and so I've actually (laughs) grown and and healed um a lot through being a parent which is quite yeah it's quite cool like that's one of the biggest things I learned is that yeah it's super triggering and you've got to be prepared to yeah mess up and make Mm. mistakes and you're not going to get it perfect even though that's all you've ever wanted and you assume that you're going to you know be you be that mum that you know does everything perfect it's like oh no way but yeah yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, mm. And also, yeah, <laughs> and also realizing that no one fully understands what you're going through and it can be incredibly lonely. Yeah. And so I think for me, I've realized that when I look at other people going through whatever they're going through, that I need to be compassionate because I don't know. I don't know. They might be smiling on the outside, but on the inside, they might just be like, so desolate you know and um and I so I think I've really learned I guess more about the human condition (laughs) Mm, mm, Um, yeah and and I've also learned that there's always hope like that's my I've actually got a tattoo that says that on my arm that says there is always hope because even when you think that you've reached a dead end or you think that yeah there's just nothing there's always something it Mm. just might come in a different package or yeah yeah Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing so so whatever circumstance comes up I now go okay it might not be how I imagined or how I thought it would turn out but there's hope for more there's something else out there and yeah amazing thank you thank you for sharing those Mm -hmm. if someone was listening who was heading off on a journey like yours what what advice would you give I think the biggest thing that I say to people because it's it's amazing eh? there's there's so many so many people going through fertility struggles and it's so it's crazy that you just have start having a conversation and you hear something and you're like oh I I I don't fully get that entire journey but I get that part of it or you know Mm -hmm. And I always feel like I really want to encourage people to be vulnerable and be honest with where you're at. Like, yeah, you don't go, you know, exposing yourself to complete strangers. Well, you could, but, you know, it's just, but yeah. but be vulnerable and actually be honest with yourself and with the people around you with where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also make sure that what you're going after is right for you because, yeah embryo donation for us I look at my girls and I they're mine they mm. might not have my genetics but they're mine and and I am a hundred percent like all about that but I know for other people 
it might not be right for them and they yeah. might feel disconnected or they might not be able to uh, deal with that, that mm. fact that that's not their genetics mm. um, or that they have to always be connected to another family as yeah. well. Like that's, that's whole, right. you know, because you've got, you have to have relationship because they need to know their siblings, you that's know. Right. So mm. I guess it's just knowing that the path that you're choosing is the path for you and and really feel that out because, mm-hmm. yeah, you need to know because it's hard because there's so much stuff that comes up. But don't give up hope. I guess that's mm-hmm. whoever's listening out there that needs mm-hmm. to, you know, that is feeling like it's hopeless. There is always hope and it might look different, but it's going to be a beautiful journey. Oh, thank you. That's really, I've got little tears in my yeah. eyes now. It always, <laughs> always happens when we get to yeah. these questions at the end. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, the final question for you is, what does it mean to you to be Tasia's and Aisha's mum? I've been thinking about this. And it's just, it means that I'm leaving a legacy. Mm. And it doesn't look how I thought, but Mm -hmm. through those girls, I have, given them life, yeah. given them the opportunity to be <laughs> and that I'm leaving this legacy and it just, I don't know, I, to say what does it mean, I don't know, it just it just means that I'm I'm doing what I was always meant to do. Yeah. <laughs> and you found a way to do yeah. it even yeah. though you had roadblocks put in your way. Yeah. 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 And it's, oh, gosh, I love it. <laughs> do you? you just love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Gosh, thank you so much. It's Can so I just ask, actually, yeah. what about little MB3? Oh, Ooh, hmm. that's a whole that's a whole other thing, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be 40 next year, mm-hmm. and I didn't really want to be pregnant much past 40 yeah. um, because, yeah, this body is feeling tired. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to give it a try. Um, yeah, we, we're going to give it a try. I'm looking at maybe next year, but we just, yeah, just don't know. But we, we're prepared to. We always, yeah, we always felt there was going to be three. And I guess for me, I just need to prepare myself whichever way it goes. But yeah, yeah, feeling cool. feeling confident, feeling, you know, yeah. Amazing. So, yes, so we will see. And I thank you so, so much. I, I so appreciate you sharing. I think it's just so important these stories are told and that people who are listening can feel your hope and your all the other things that you share with us so thank you you're welcome thank you so much for the opportunity you're welcome and I thank you so so much gosh you have been through such a lot and I am so grateful to you for sharing it here with us I know this is going to help other people who are listening as always I hope this podcast brings you hope healing and hugs I'd really love you to help me share this podcast far and wide so those who need to hear it can. You can do this by subscribing to the podcast. You can leave a review in the app you're listening on. Or you can simply share it with a friend. I'd be so grateful if you did. Mm -hmm.